Welcome to the Hangups Podcast. I am your host, Joel Pack. I am a full-time music producer, husband, and dad to three awesome kids. This is basically my way of getting some quality hang time in with some interesting people I don't get to chat with nearly as much as I'd like to. Today, that awesome person is Maggie Pack, my wife. Uh, we work together and we raise our kids together and we live together, but we rarely get to just sit down and chat like this. Um, this was the first, very first podcast I ever did and um, it got raw. So uh, buckle in and enjoy my first ever podcast with my wife. We ain't fake. Are you nervous? Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We um, just ain't got hang-ups. Yeah. Do we get to hear the theme song? <laughs> Yet. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna use. All right, we're here with Maggie Pack. Hello. Uh, can you introduce yourself? I am Maggie. I am your wife. Oh, come on! You're so much more than that. <laughs> I'm in my mid thirties. I'm a white married female with three children. What do you do? I oversee a music catalog and I actively pitch those to music supervisors. Nice. Is it weird like looking me in the it eye <laughs> without some, without a kid trying to get your attention? Yeah, it's a or little weird. Whatever. Okay, well what was it like growing up Maggie? Oh man. I'm already gonna be emotional because I feel very on the spot. <laughs> like I'm public speaking. Um so I grew up in the Bible belt. Um it was a very stereotypical, I would consider upper middle class um, family. Did you I guys have a pool? We did when I was really little. Mm. Yeah. And now my parents have a pool, but not in the middle part when I would have actually used it uh-huh. more. So you had a pool, but not a tennis court. Correct. Yeah. That, well, I feel I like consider, that gives a good idea. Well, <laughs> and I consider it very, um, I consider it upper middle class. Now that we have our own family, that's what mm-hmm. I would consider it. Yeah. Growing up, it just felt very normal. Yeah. Everything, everyone around me was similar to me. So I grew up in a little middle America bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, Bible Belt, non-denominational Christian kind of community. who's basically evangelical Christian. Um, people later that I met in life called it woo-woo. Mm-hmm church or woo-woo Christian, um, because people would, you know, dance in the aisles, rock band for worship, um, slay in the spirit, speak in tongues, um, all of those types of things. And can you explain what slay, slay, sorry, one more. Slay in the spirit. Slaying or slay in? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I've heard it used both ways. I don't know. I don't know if there's a correct way or not. Like slaying like a dragon? No. So slaying the spirit was when um, if someone had like a big illness or a big situation come up or was really struggling, they'd go up to the front of the stage um, because our pastor always preached on a stage and the pastor would lay their hands on their head and, you know, pray over them. And then the people would be overcome with the Holy Spirit and fall to the ground and people Mm. would catch them. So there'd be people behind them to catch them and they'd kind of faint. So slay in the spirit. Yeah. Um, but I would probably consider it closest to Baptist and Presbyterian. Like what was it like during church as far as did you feel watched or? Yeah. Sundays were really stressful for me because I grew up with a lot of social anxiety and I was very, very shy. 
Um, so it was scary to me to go to church because I felt like everyone was watching everything we did. And I felt like dependent on how you were acting in the service showed your commitment to God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I wonder if that was just my own viewing and creation of, uh, of anxiety mm-hmm. or if it was actually true that other people were watching. But when we'd, we have guests come, um, there'd be a point where the members would stand and the guests would remain seating. And it was a way to be thoughtful and say, Hey, you know, welcome to your church and help them feel like they were being introduced to the community. So they're not just sitting there as a stranger the whole time. But to me, it felt like then everyone was wondering at the end of the service, were they going to accept Jesus into their heart? And were they going to raise their hand during that prayer where at the end of the service, everyone recommits to having Jesus, you know, inviting Jesus in and all that. Um, so I had just had a lot of social anxiety around church and I hated going because of that. Um, but Sunday afternoon was when we all would go, you know, we'd have lunch after church and I always hoped that my mom was too busy or, um, that the oven wasn't working or that the timer didn't set correct or whatever so that food wouldn't be ready so that we could go out to lunch. Mm. And that was my favorite part of the week is if we go out to lunch. Um, and one of our favorite places to go was this Mexican place, um, called Pepe's and it was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. Well, what were your friends in Oklahoma like? Um, very normal. I mean, I remember when I was traveling as a kid one time with my parents and someone said, Oklahoma, do you guys ride horses there? And I remember just being like shocked. It's the nineties. Who rides horses? You know, like (laughs) who rides horses to work? Are you serious? Um, but it was just a very, um, normal, typical middle America town. And my friends were very normal, typical middle American girls. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's I mean, not anything that really sets us apart or anything. Um, I got very, very lucky by finding a group of girls and now women that are just exceptional. And we still talk every day. I thought that was funny. Like you were saying it's uh, normal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to me, normal was one thing. And then there was right. and then there was what you saw on TV, mm-hmm. you know, which I thought, well, that's not like my life. That's like TV. And it's like when I met when I got to hang out with you and your friends in Oklahoma, I was like, oh, no, this is like TV. <laughs> this is like TV normal. Yeah. Like their friends go out and do things like they do on TV and like even our wedding. Like I was yeah. like, oh, this is like a movie. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or like, um, like mm-hmm. John Hughes movie, but with um, accents. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have that much of an accent. Well, no, I mean, okay. compared to John Hughes movies, <laughs> right, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think I, when I say normal, I mean, it was very, like, sitcom normal. Yeah. Um, my friends weren't crazy partiers or anything. Like, a, some of them partied, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, none of my friends were doing drugs that I knew of. If they were, that's news to me. Um, we were just very vanilla you didn't have any like after school special type. It's like, oh, Susie got an abortion. <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, there were girls that I went to school with that had those situations happen, but okay. they weren't in my immediate friend group. Mm-hmm. Um, There's always like guest guest starring, yeah, <laughs> guest yeah, starring so and so. And we definitely did. I mean, there were field parties and um, and house parties, and people drank there, but it was like a bunch of 
17-year-olds getting drunk on Bud Light kind mm-hmm. of situation. Um, and then some of the guys smoked pot. But mm-hmm. I never know, had the balls to go to those parties. I, th- I got invited to like <laughs> two of them. Oh, you and did? both of them I like was making excuses. Because I, well, I didn't want to say, well, I think I could get in trouble. What if my mom found out? <laughs> So yeah. I'd make up excuses, like yeah. hard ass excuses about why I couldn't go. Yeah, I uh, also had that problem. I, I drove before all of my friends did because uh-huh. I was older. Um, and so I didn't go to very many of the parties because it was my, I feel like the liability fell on me because it's my vehicle at the party. I'm yeah. the one transporting people, that kind of thing. Um, and I didn't drink in high school. So there wasn't like a problem of drinking and driving or anything like that. But, um, I didn't go to a lot of the parties cause I felt a little more responsible. And then I also had a curfew uh-huh. of midnight. And so my friends would want to leave, you know, go to a party, but then they couldn't, they wouldn't want to leave in time for me to take them home for me to make my curfew. Yeah. Um, so I mostly stuck around with one girl and our parties were in her backyard. She had really cool parents and boys would come over and we'd all just swim and hang out and it was fun. Awesome. I'm going to get a drink. Keep, uh, well, we can keep chatting for a second, but I'm going to take another, do you need another drink? No, I have a full coffee. Oh, I'm going to get a drink. Oh, shit. Don't drink that one for a minute. Mm. I'm going to have to like pee every 30 minutes because I'm drinking so much LaCroix. What was the big thing that you did? The big thing you did as a kid that... Oh, oh no. The big G word. (laughs) I was a gymnast, a competitive gymnast. Yeah, you were like number seven beam chick in the world. Is that like when people... Do you feel when I say that? Is that like when people say, this is Joel. He won the battle of the bands. (laughs) like that like um yeah that was I mean it was a big deal I I got seventh at nationals on beam but it's not something to tout in my 30s right that's something that is impressive right you know um but my mom is very proud of that so she's well, rightfully so it, even though i'm in my 30s or the the other one that i'm sure you're sick of is that they use your yeah. body as a model for uh shannon miller shannon miller yeah, yeah. in oklahoma where is the school at what school is it no it's at a library in edmond oklahoma mm-hmm. um the sculptors i believe his niece went was at um was it one of my teammates mm-hmm. um she was a lower level than me i don't think we ever competed on the same level while i was there but um because she's a little bit younger but um he was sculpting a statue mm-hmm. like, like a really large statue a bronze um, or something or, or yeah it's just look, I'm not looks sure. like it was made out of a million pennies yeah yeah <laughs> copper yeah um and he was um, doing some research, kind of, and he needed someone to do the, the the jump or the leap that he was sculpting. He needed someone to do it over and over and over um, so that he could see all sides of it to help mm-hmm. with the sculpture. And I had the most similar body type to Shannon Miller and could do the jump. So he came and took a bunch of pictures of me doing the same jump over and over and over and over and over. Um, 
And then my mom, of course, loved yeah. that fact. I mean, I never, I mean, no, I guarantee you, if you ask that sculptor, he would not know who I am yeah. kind of thing. But then but, he just put Shannon Miller's head on it. Yeah. Which is awkwardly big. <laughs> If anybody drives I by, it's, it's a beautiful sculpture. It is. You're worried that he's going to listen to this podcast. It's a beautiful sculpture. You did a great job. <laughs> yes. So that's my other claim to fame uh, nice. anonymously. So both of those things, it's like, I'm not trying to head shrink you or anything like that, but it feels weird bragging about that kind of stuff. Because they don't seem bragworthy, right? Uh, they, I'm in my thirties. Mm. That, you yeah. Know? Do you feel like those two things, maybe they seem really small in comparison to the work you put into it? I never thought about it. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, you were in, when you were doing gymnastics, how many, how many days a week did you go? Like two times a week? Or? Five, five days a week, four uh-huh. hours a day. And then if there were skills that we struggled on, we did Saturday practices a lot uh-huh. or private lessons. Um, and sometimes in, I think in the summer we did Saturday practices. Uh, and then. Well, you try, how often did you compete? Um, just once a year mm-hmm. during the season. Um, so you didn't have to travel a lot on weekends or anything. It was like once a year. You... Oh, well, it was like a season a year. It was kind of like basketball season, oh, okay. you know, where it was like every weekend, oh. every other weekend or whatever for so you... a season. Um, and we'd travel to those meets, but we, we largely stayed within Oklahoma mm-hmm. until, um, if you did well at state, then you went on to regionals. If you did well at regionals, you went on to one of the national competitions and so on. So. And you guys did well, so you did a lot of that. Um, I did later. I I don't know if they do that for the lower levels. I've actually never thought about it. Um, you started when you but were... But when you're older and you're in the upper levels, you they, they have the Yeah. And you started when you were how old? Um, they put me in it at two years old and then, um, I stopped at 16. So it's 14 years. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like having a statue or whatever that doesn't quite wrap up the experience of putting that much work for 14 (laughs) years. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels kind of like a novelty. It would be like if you had your own brand of strings, right? It's like having a set of guitar strings would be like this weird side thing that means nothing to your day to day of creating the songs. And it's just like this weird, you know? Yeah. Or if your hands were used on a statue of a guitar, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So why did you quit when you were 16? Well, that is a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so by the time I got into high school, I was feeling probably pretty burned out. It was just, you know, a lot of day in, day out of um, practice, competitions. You know, when you do that much, when activity, like hard activity, while your body's growing and going through puberty, 
you have lots of injuries or that's how it felt. Um, and so I would leave practice and my dad used to joke that I was like an ice box because we had so many ice packs that we would leave and I would sleep with ice packs, like on my wrists and my knees and my ankles and Mm -hmm. my elbows and you know, everything. So by the time that I got to high school, I had had two elbow surgeries, um, five bones, something, four bones, maybe, um, you know, so it was just really hard and I was feeling burned out by the time I got to high school. So I decided that I wanted to be somewhat involved in our high school activities. And my best friend at the time was a cheerleader and had done cheer for a long time. And she was trying out for the JV squad. And then one of my other best friends was going to try out as well. And JV was just very simple. It wasn't competitive. It was very easy. It was, you know, you just show up to the JV football games, JV basketball games, do some cheers, mm-hmm. wear uniforms on game days, like just very simple way to be involved in high school. Yeah. Like a normal person. Yeah. Not spending 25 hours a week at <laughs> yeah. the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Not, you know. So, um, I talked to my coaches about it before I tried out because, you know, I was just burned out and whatever. And the practices for cheer were during school hours. So I was, the only thing I was going to miss is the occasional Thursday evening for football games or basketball games, but we didn't have a ton of JV games. So it wasn't a lot. Um, and I cleared it with them and they agreed. Yeah. You know, go ahead and do that. And then it just opened. Like I tried out, I spent all summer, um, doing my normal gymnastics training and everything after I had made the team in the spring, Um, and the day before school started in the fall, the coaches came to me and said, this isn't going to work. We've had complaints. Um, and some of the other team members had gotten upset because our, our coaches were very, um, just kind of made sure that that if you are going to be a competitive gymnast, that that needs to be your priority. So there were other activities that some of the girls wanted to do, but there just wasn't time. Like they could do a swim team in the summer, but during competition season, it was very strict. Like this is your focus. You know, Mm -hmm. if if you're in, let's be in. If you don't want to be in, that's fine. Go do your own thing kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, No slackers. Yeah. Yeah. And so some of the other gymnasts um, had complained because they wanted to do other things and they thought it was unfair that I was getting to do cheer. Um, which for me at the time was frustrating because I was 16 Mm -hmm. and these other girls were younger and I just kind of felt like I was the oldest on the team at the time and Mm -hmm. I was the highest level and I just kind of felt like it's not like you weren't pulling your weight. You're like pulling the weight of the team. Right. Or that's kind of what it felt like. So, Mm -hmm. which I also understand from a coaching perspective, well, if you have the person that's the oldest and the highest level doing something that isn't necessarily good for the full team to do. sets an example. It sets an example that they can't follow. So anyways, long story short, they told me, you know, this isn't going to work. And I said, well, like, I already got accepted on the team last spring. You guys knew that. And at this point I'm doing it for school credit. It's, it's my gym. 
like PE credit for Mm -hmm. high school. I can't just drop it. So, um, that was kind of that. And I was done. And you kept cheerleading. Yeah. And then I just did JV cheer. And then I was on the state, um, team to compete for, um, like their, so you kept high school program kicking ass at other stuff. Yeah. So then I did competitive cheer Mm -hmm. and the JV squad and then the school competition squad. So I went from, I stopped gymnastics and then moved into three cheerleading squads. Was there a little bit of like, I'm going to show them, not them to anybody in particular, but like, I'm going to kick ass at this other thing because do you know what I mean? Do you feel like, or how do you, I mean, I guess, how do you feel like that shaped you, you know, that experience? Not just, I mean, obviously it's like, okay, gymnastics shaped you in a way that taught you perseverance and hard work and a good work ethic. And if you want to get good at something, you have to whatever, and you've got a competitive nature and all that, all of those things. But I mean, um, as far as the way that it ended, like a lot of people go to gym, a lot of people are gymnasts. That's a thing. And people know, you know, but, um, not a lot of people stop after that amount of time and success under those circumstances. And how do you feel like that instance maybe shaped? Well, um, I will give you as succinct an answer as I can, because you know that we have talked about this in therapy (laughs) several years ago. Several years ago. Since then, we've had three kids and, you know, refresh my memory (laughs) because I don't have I don't have like a certain answer. I'm like expecting to hear anything like that. I'm rediscovering you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was traumatizing, I think. I mean, it's obviously making me more emotional, mm. which feels a little silly. Why, why does it feel silly? Because I'm a 30-year-old woman crying about something <laughs> that happened when I was 16. Um, but I think, you know, when you're a gymnast, you it's like eye on the prize, you know? There's the the competition aspect, and that's one thing. But I think a lot of the other part is it's a competition with yourself as far as achieving a skill, you know, getting a better, um, you know, landing the skill. It's just it's a lot of self-competition and a lot of repetition to achieve a goal. And, you know, when, when I broke my elbow was at a competition and right before you go up for beam, um, or each, each event you get like a, a, um, quick warm up, and you just basically get, I can't remember what it is. It's like 30 seconds or something, or it was at the time. And, um, I had gone up to do my quick 30 second warm up right before my routine. And I felt my arm pop when I was doing one of my back handsprings and I thought it was really weird. And so I got off the beam and it kind of like shook out my arm and I like was turning my hand palm down, palm up because I had broken enough bones at this point that I knew if you can't do that, it's broken. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was broken, but I could do that movement. Mm -hmm. So I was really confused. 
So I got up and I did the routine. I fell off the beam like three or four times. I mean, it was awful. It was an Mm -hmm. awful routine. And after I told my coaches, like, I think that I might've like something's wrong in my elbow. I feel like I might've broken my elbow. And they were like, why didn't you tell us? Like you should have told us before you did it. And it was just like, but we're here Mm -hmm. and we practice for a year to get to these competitions and we've had so many injuries and you have injuries every day and you tape an ankle or you tape a wrist or, you know, you, you, you know, you have doctors tell you, you have to stop or you're going to be in severe pain or whatever. And you just are like, that's fine for you, but it doesn't work for me because I've worked so long to achieve this. I'm doing it. Yeah. You work you know? by a, a different set of rules. Yeah. And it's like, I understand that you wouldn't be able to handle that, but I can handle it. And Mm -hmm. that's just kind of how it always felt. So when I all of a sudden had that conversation, it was like, so you need to make a choice. You either do cheer or you do gymnastics. It felt like a betrayal because it was like, but we've been through so much and we've overcome all these injuries and like when I had broken my arm, I just got a big brace because I couldn't have sir. I like, I didn't want to have surgery until the competition season was done. So I finished the competition season with a broken arm with a big metal brace on my arm. And so it was just kind of like, we've overcome all of these things. And now you're telling me that this complaint about me being gone on an occasional Thursday is going to take it all away. Mm-hmm. So I think it just, it not being my choice. Mm-hmm felt like a betrayal and you know I talked to my coaches several years later and um they're wonderful people mm-hmm. like great just wonderful people they're yeah, a married couple and they're, aw- they're awesome yeah they're a married couple and they've been with me since I was a kid and they're just good-hearted mm-hmm. caring people. Mm-hmm. And he, he apologized to me, the male coach did and just said, you know, we should have handled that differently. We should have handled it better. And he apologized and he got emotional and I got emotional mm-hmm. and, and we both know that it wasn't handled well, mm-hmm. but we know the intentions were good. Yeah. So I think well, I that mean, helps as an adult now also, I'm sure, you know, you realize how competitive they are that it, took it took a lot for them to start a gym and yeah. to do all the thing and you know and and now they own a gym yeah like they you know they bought out the gym mm-hmm. that they were coaching at you know yeah. and they can't have specific you know instances right. like that right could could put the whole gym in jeopardy you know right. if one of those parents decided they want to wanted to sue them or or be, something <clears throat> or something and, start drama about right and uh, there was a gym that wasn't very far from ours. That was the gym that Shannon Miller went to. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I mean, Oklahoma was competitive when it came to gymnastics. Mm -hmm. Like every once in a while we'd go compete in other States and we would just sweep the meat and Mm -hmm. it would feel stupid for being there. And it's just like each state has its own, you know, type of competition. And Oklahoma was a very tough state. So I get that they can't then, you know, have this team that's half committed. Right. Like I get that. Right. But at the time it felt like 
a betrayal and it, I mean, obviously I just got emotional about it. So how do you, I mean, do you feel like you kind of carried a bit of a chip on your shoulder about not towards them necessarily, but certain when certain circumstances come up or anything like that, where Um, I'm not looking for a specific answer or anything like that. I don't know. I think I'd have to think about that. Yeah. I mean, I notice like sometimes like if you're, you know, cause you, you do hold yourself to a higher standard as far as work ethic and something. And so, I mean, just from observation, you know, if anybody questions your, your work ethic or maybe Maggie's not trying hard enough, or maybe she's giving up too fast. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. No, that makes me pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I get really pissed. If someone, um, talks down to me in a work environment mm-hmm. or cause I think, you know, I'm, I'm a female and with the state of our country right now that has its own situations. Um, but I also have a very small voice Mm -hmm. and I tend to be very, um, if I'm in a good mood, I tend to be very bubbly and expressive and I use my hands when I talk and, you know, I kind of have that, I don't want to say cheerleader persona, but I, I, I tend to be very bubbly and, and, you know, when I interact and use my hands and gesture a lot and whatever, and people will often discount me and my ability and they'll treat me like I'm a dumb girl Mm -hmm. or assume that I'm just kind of flying by, you know, did did you notice that in Oklahoma or was that, do you feel like that changed when you moved to Utah at all? I mean, I, I, in Oklahoma, I'm used to dealing with people who already know you, so it doesn't seem like an issue, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but do you, I mean, when you, when you moved to Utah and had, you know, we're working in the professional environment out here versus in Oklahoma, were there any kind of differences or was it pretty similar? I mean, I would say it's definitely an outside of Oklahoma thing. Mm -hmm. It's so one of my previous jobs, I worked with people, I covered five States, so I traveled a lot. Um, and then we've also lived in Nevada Mm -hmm. and we've done a lot of work in, uh, California and it's definitely an outside of Oklahoma thing. Um, I don't feel like I was ever treated that way in Oklahoma or Texas. And I think that it's, that there's, it's just a more prevalent style of, um, communication of communication and yeah, you know, funny because I think most at least myself, I would think of Oklahoma or Texas as being more likely to not judge you or belittle you, but, Oh, that's just that she's just a sweet girl. You know, like she, you would, you know what I'm saying? And you're, you're smiling now. Like, that's so small minded and judgmental of you to <laughs> no, think that, no, you know what I, I mean? I but it's, judgmental. I no, just, but it's, but it's true. You know, yeah. I think it's, I think it's funny and ironic a bit that you, you know, we lived in Las Vegas. Uh, that's supposedly like, Oh, the outside world. And you felt more judged for being feminine. Yeah. Yes. But I also think that Las Vegas is very, um, sexually aware mm-hmm. and in a way that is or at least living there it felt like it was in a way of women claiming their sexuality and it was a very strong 
form of that. Gotcha. Like, oh, you're being very feminine. You must be a dancer or something like that. No, like you're being very feminine. You must be weak. Oh, okay. You know, like they're very feminine or it felt, it felt when we lived there that I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. And I don't know if it has to do with, this is really stupid, but I don't know if it has to do with the football culture, Mm -hmm. like football and Oklahoma and Texas is life. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you were there, you were shocked that everyone had their football team spray painted on their (laughs) curb curb, outside their house. Uh Um, which to me, I was like, Oh, is that weird? That's weird that that's weird. That's just how life is, you know? Mm -hmm. But, um, I think that it's, I just feel like it was uh, a more normal expected form of communication when I lived in Oklahoma, Texas. And then for instance, when I moved to Nevada, um, one of the job interviews I did there, it was for a sales job for a construction type company. They did, they sold equipment and whatever. And I was applying and it was two men in the room and we had a great interview. And at the end of the interview, he said, you know, I don't think that you're right for this work because it's really a man's industry. But if you weren't already married, I'd want to introduce you to my son because I think you'd make a great wife. And it was like, this is a interview. Why did you just waste an hour of my time interviewing me? Yeah. Having me show up in a suit and come talk to you for an hour for you to tell me it's a man's industry and that I'd make a great wife. Like it, it just felt like, that discounted reaction. That was in Utah or Vegas? That was in Las Vegas. In Vegas. Man. And so do you, I mean, sometimes I feel like that, like, okay, as a woman, do you feel like you almost, you have to be an asshole to be taken seriously sometimes or? No, because then you're seen as a bitch. Yeah. So you just like walking this, fine line between yeah setting boundaries and trying to be taken seriously and not using your hands too much and yeah. trying to keep your voice lower and yeah it's a it's like a weird dynamic as far as and it goes back to the work ethic thing is i just kind of keep my head down work 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 i'm like kind of a perfectionist mm-hmm. in my work ethic. So if something is not done to the high standard that I set, I consider it a failure. And mm-hmm. so I just work, 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 get it done, get it done, show results and people respect you from those results. Gotcha. So it's probably, I mean, going back to like chip on the shoulder gymnastics thing. So it's probably, not that it's a you uh i mean it's a unique problem for females to need to have that but it's probably does it feel compounded specifically those uh i guess if your merits aren't or are are when they're discounted yes. at all <laughs> the answer is yes <laughs> yes okay so besides Things like gymnastics and work and uh, I have a unique perspective of being your husband (laughs) and living with you every day. Um, You also run a very, I'm going to see how do I, 
You usually say tight ship. Tight ship, yeah. <laughs> you're in a pretty tight ship. Um, and sometimes I, I'm just like, man, am I, is it that I'm, uh, am I an especially uh, <laughs> lazy person or whatever? But I don't think, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a go-getter type person. I'm always up. Um, but I think... Sorry, I mean, this isn't something I've thought. I mean, it's something I've thought about, but not for the podcast. But <laughs> that it's probably especially important to you to, um, I don't want to say, I hate the word validated <laughs> or validation, you know, but like when you're, when you're doing gymnastics, you can uh, go compete and somebody can say you're the best. Or if you're at work, and you have, you know, you can have your metrics and you can do well at your things and you get a pat on the back for that. Um, and then when you're at home, you're just kind of relying on me and the kids to say, hey, good, good job. You're kicking ass at this. And we do a terrible job at that, obviously, <laughs> because we're just, Ava's just trying to wipe his own bum and I'm barely above that. <laughs> Try to keep my shit together. You're the best. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, was that a question? <laughs> I don't know. It was a thing on here. It's funny. It's like we spent, you know, 40 minutes going through this first little thing. And then in the last 20 seconds, I just went, I was like, I have no idea how long this is going to take. This could be over in 15 minutes. So this could take three hours. I was hoping it wasn't going to be over in 10 minutes. <laughs> You know. so, would you like me to make a comment yeah. on the tight ship? Yes, please. That's yeah. These are supposed to be, you know. Yeah. Um, inefficiency drives me up a, a wall. Yeah. I can't stand when things are inefficient. And it's funny because you say tight ship and I feel like our house and our home life is a shit show. Mm-hmm. So it's always funny to me when you say that because it's like, I don't know what kind of tight ship I'm running. <laughs> no, I guess just that um, you don't allow for much less than perfection in your own life, whether it's with work or with gymnastics or if we're, if you if you're gonna go out to the street to grab the mail, you're not gonna, you're not gonna <laughs> right. do so with your hair not done in right. in your jammies. You know what I mean. Right. And, um, so I'm not saying that without a bra, yeah, I'm not saying that (laughs) things, I'm not saying that things are perfect all the time. You know, we have, uh, we both work full time. We have three kids, the shit around the house has to get done, but it doesn't. Um, and so you feel like that's not running a tight ship to me. I think you, I don't often see you get a case of the fuck it's. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where you say, you know what? Everything's, uh, everything is what it is. I'm, I'm going to allow myself to ignore it for 30 minutes or, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off, maybe I'm off base there, but. Yeah, I guess my way of getting the fuck it's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would be um, deciding that I'm tired of picking up everyone's crap mm-hmm. all around our house. Mm-hmm. And so I just get a big bag and I put everything in it and I donate what's donatable and I trash everything else. Yeah. 
and that's it. But that's still doing something about it. That's running a tight ship. That's setting See, some boundaries. See, to me, that's, a, that's a, <laughs> I'm so tired of trying to find a place for this thing that I use twice a year. Some other person could use this. I, right. I, I want it out of my house this second. That's very, while that, see, you know, that's, while that seem, may seem like giving up to you, I think to anybody <laughs> else that would seem like going the extra mile and doing the right thing in, in that scenario. So what, so then what? Like, how does a normal person have a case of the fuckets? We should ask one. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, you, see, you just see, I mean, some people, uh, you know, whatever forms of escapism, you're not much of an, of an escapist. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like to read. Reading is my escapism yeah. and I like to drive. But you won't do that until you feel like a number of things are checked off the list and kind of Yes, because otherwise I just have anxiety that I'm making a worse situation for the future me. Yeah. By putting See, it off. That's running a pretty tight ship. And I think okay. I, even though it feels like, because we all that feel, we all feel me. like yeah. parts of our life are a shit show. We all, I yeah. think we all feel like most of our life is a shit show. And so it doesn't feel like you're running. It feels, I'm sure it, feels like you're in a state of constant failure and chaos because compared to something like gymnastics or work where you have a hundred percent control over your results, um, a house that we live in with five people and a dog mm -hmm. where there are a lot of moving parts and there's no, there's not a whole lot of uh, control to be had over who's going to get sent home sick from school or um, right. what, who's going to puke on what or who's peed on what and right. who, where did the toothpaste go and why are right. these shoes over here? <laughs> there's not a sense of control. It's not all your shit in your house. Yeah. It's a lot of. A lot of people, and I think where most people would say, well, it is what it is, and we'll get through it, and mm -hmm. um, I don't, again, I'm not trying to head shrink you or anything no, like that, no. but well, maybe and, you and hold I yourself mean, to a higher standard, like, that's fine for everybody else, but I do gymnastics through broken bones, and I don't care that we have three kids and twins. Right. The laundry still has to get done. Right. The dishes still have to get done. Right. It pisses me off that that it pisses me off and it doesn't seem to bother anybody else. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, I consider, so a lot of the stuff that needs to get done, I consider being an adult, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so right. it's like, I don't, it's like, yes, it annoys me. And yes, it's a lot, especially with the twins, like laundry, like I can do six loads of laundry in a day and still have two baskets full that need to get done. Right. It's just a lot of laundry. But if I'm having a case of the fuck it's, it's like, well, I'm just going to push that till tomorrow when I have other stuff I need to do too. And so mm -hmm. those two loads of laundry I need to get done, I'll probably have four loads of laundry I need to get done. So right. it's just, to me, it's like the fuck it doesn't involve just normal adulting. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think so. And I'm also... I mean, we have discussed this in LinkedIn therapy where I can own it and not feel like pissed off about it, but mm -hmm. I am a control freak, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, I feel like that when I do get a case of the fuck it's, it's like, 
I'm tired of controlling all of this stuff. I need it out of my life. Right. It's hard for you to let go. Yeah. And, and so, you, and maybe it's and like, so that's when I pile everything up and I'm like, all this is getting donated. I'm yeah. tired of seeing it. Yeah. You know? All right. What's the hardest part about being a mom? Everything. <laughs> no, uh, everything. Yeah. No. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's the, it's the lovey dovey side of having something you care about so much walk around and you can't protect it, you know, mm-hmm. like trying to protect as much as possible, but you don't know what's going to happen to that child, to that future adult or whatever. And you can't be there all the time, nor should you be there all the time. Um, so that's really hard. Letting go of the control over it. Yeah. Like <laughs> the lovey-dovey side is really hard. Um, the constant being needed is very hard. Like, especially so, you know, we have a four-year-old and then 10-month-old twins. And right now they need everything. I mean, the twins, it's... I mean, feeding, holding, they can't walk, all this stuff. And the four-year-old trying to navigate friendships that are starting and school and behavior and potty training and eating issues and all of the stuff that happens with a four-year-old, you know? Um, So sometimes it just kind of feels like the hardest part is wanting to run and hide and not see any of them for a month straight mm-hmm. and also, and also at the exact same moment wanting to hug them so tight that you're afraid you'll suffocate them because <laughs> you just love them so much, yeah. you know? And it's like constantly balancing that. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part? Everything. <laughs> um, they're just great. Like, our son is finally in the stage where he's just super funny and it's fun to see him developing into his own like human being mm-hmm. and get his own personality and his own humor and his own hangups. <laughs> um, but then it's just, it's super fun when you walk into the room and they get super excited to see you. That is the best. I think that's my favorite. <laughs> Picking him up from daycare yeah. and having him be so pumped. Yeah, and having him run to the front door because he's so excited to see you and then having the girls just like jump up and down in their little bouncy seats and, you know, get excited and make their little cooing noises. Mm -hmm. And then since they're twins and you can only pick up one at a time, you know, um, you pick the first one up and the other one just loses it. (laughs) Because, yeah. So I keep thinking every time that happens, I'm like, oh man, look look out, this is going to be tough. Like birthday presents. I know. And... I know. Time and think, well, she got to do this and that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to, we kind of quit going to therapy once. When, when was it? Like, it was when I got th- pregnant. The first time or the second time? With the twins. With the twins. Was the last was time. Was the last time. And then even since Ava, we went a lot more few and far between. Mm-hmm. I would say we went like every six months since Ava was born, probably. <laughs> and then when the twins. When I got pregnant with the twins, uh, we went and we haven't been since. If anybody knows a good therapist, we could yeah. use a we could use a recommendation. Yes. Or if any good therapists could uh, yeah. want uh, shout outs on a podcast that nobody listens to, we, 
<laughs> we'll do some trade. <laughs> yeah, for real. So what I was realized I was saying that we were at a party yesterday and I realized a lot of times I say things um, they come out of my mouth before I have a chance to think about whether they're appropriate or not. And I started saying, and it was at a, it was at a party hosted by somebody we work with. And I was <laughs> talking about um, how we kind of went, cause we ran a recording studio and I was working like all the time and you, you were able to quit your job and you do books for the studio, but you probably had to work not a ton throughout the week, right? It wasn't like a full-time job. You were pretty much full-time mom to our one kid and kind of part-time doing studio stuff and um, kind of all at once changed to now we're both working together for the same company full time. And we have three times as many kids as we had <laughs> yeah. before. Yes. I don't even remember where I was going with that. You were saying that something came out of your mouth wrong at the party. Oh yeah. So, well, that's what it was. I kind of made that <laughs> not public. I just kind of made that observation and it's like, we used to do, we used to have, you know, we used to go to therapy regularly and it's like we had, uh, in comparison, half as much less than half as much going on mm. and we just that's so just an observation that, I don't okay. know if I'm asking I don't yeah. know if I'm asking a question or what do you think about that or what's that <laughs> we don't I mean like well, this this is the longest conversation we've had one-on-one alone alone in over a year probably I don't know probably a while yeah I mean do you think about that um that we have more going on now <laughs> I mean, definitely. I, so yeah, I think, I mean, when we were going, so I quit my sales job in February, started with the studio in March 2016, and was just doing QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. I mean, just basically did the accounting until October. So it was less, less than a year. Yeah. And so it's like, I had, a, we were both working full time. Mm hmm for the five years before that. Yeah. And well, I mean, since we've known each other, mm-hmm. um, I just remember feeling like that was a lot and it's like, okay, how can we get to where we don't both have to work full time? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, at the time I was traveling a lot and that wasn't working out. Yeah. And so I started working with the studio because we, we needed, I mean, we couldn't afford childcare mm-hmm. and, um, we, you know, we had our son. So I started working for studio and I was also working for our friend's accounting business. That's right. So I was doing both of those things. I was got to have a side hustle. Yeah. And, um, I traveled to that convention for her to mm-hmm. do sales for that. Um, and then in October is when I started having to compile all of our information and writing business plans and everything. Cause our stu- the studio got bought. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to therapy a lot between March and October mm. um, because we were arguing a lot because it was the first time you had That's ever right. had a coworker uh-huh. and the first time you'd ever had to answer to anyone well, for at least for 20 years, anything. And I was having to ask you lots of questions as far as I still hate how that. many hours <laughs> did the, you know, uh-huh. and whatever, and trying to get it into QuickBooks and have a better filing system. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so you and I were fighting all the time. And I had gone to therapy by myself after one particularly dukes out fight mm-hmm. that we had. I mean, it wasn't so physical, funny. I don't remember. I don't remember any but of you it. You and I had really gotten into it. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so I went to therapy alone and it was just like, I cannot work with him. Mm-hmm. Like this is not working. I need to get another job, but we are not good coworkers. And I like unleashed and they were like, well, but then maybe you need to go home and tell him that like, mm-hmm. you need to go find another job. But I was like, how am I going to find a job when we can't afford childcare? You know? And it was just back to square one, I guess, because it all came down to what do we do with our child? Mm-hmm. And it's going to make me emotional again. I'm not <laughs> good at having long conversations cause I get so emotional. Um, but that's when the next morning I did, I did therapy that night. The next morning, my, our neighbor came over. And I don't know if you remember this. Um, and she brought me a vase of flowers. That's right. Mm-hmm. And she said, I know that we don't know each other very well, which we don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're fabulous, but we talk maybe like once every six months. Um, she said, I know you don't know very, me very well but I felt like God told me you're supposed to bloom or plant it. And she's like, I don't know what that means to you, but that's what I'm supposed to come over and tell you. What did that mean to you? I think, I mean, I had just spent two hours venting about how I was out Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to stay and work with the studio because it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just did not work well together. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, we couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a side note that we were living off our credit cards because we went from two incomes to one. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting paid for the work I was doing because, I mean, how do you pay someone off of something that's not bringing in any funds, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so... To me, it meant stick it out and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And then like almost immediately they offered to buy the studio. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like our work relationship has changed or gotten any better (laughs) since then? Um, I think. That's a long pause. Yeah, because I don't know that, I mean, I think that it's got, I think that we understand each other a little bit more mm-hmm. in a work environment. I think it's good that there are other people involved mm-hmm. so that it's not just you and I beating our heads against the wall all the time. Um, but to be honest, I'm not, I'm still not sold that it's a good situation. That. Is funny. <laughs> uh oh. Oh no! Just it was one of the things. That's just something that I've been thinking. It was on the thing. Like, what are the pros and cons of working with your spouse? And it's something I've been thinking about a lot too. Just like, is this even a good idea? Is this experiment? Yeah. You know what I mean? Is this? Yeah. Um, I said, hanging out when we last time we were in Oklahoma with your friends' husbands, yes. all the guys hanging out. Yeah. 
And I think I made a comment to uh, Lane's husband, Jaron, <laughs> yeah. which is funny because I see him maybe once every two years or something. No, I'd say like once a year, once maybe a year. every six months. Yeah. Anyway, but it's not like we have a super close, you know, yeah. whatever. And he was just said, hey, how are you doing? You know, how's, how's stuff going? And it's like, I mean, well, let me tell you, <laughs> since you're so interested. Um, and I think I said I made some, I wasn't complaining or about you or that anything you like that. People, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> complaining at all. But um, I, no, you know, he asked what it was, how it was going with the company and how it oh. was, how it was working together at the company. So he specifically asked and I said, well, you know. People, a lot of times, like, guys will get together and be like, oh, man, my wife's on my ass about blah, 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 or whatever. And it's usually about something around the house for the four hours they they spend together at night. I was like, but Maggie and I are in each other's shit about (laughs) every single facet of each other's lives. It's not, we don't escape each other when we leave for work. We don't. When we're done at work, we don't escape our coworkers and get to go home and cut that off. It's literally twenty four seven. Twenty literally twenty four seven, and it's if it's laundry, dishes, or kids, or whatever it is. And then when that's done, um, and we sleep or rest, and then we get up, and then it's you know we go, you know, I go to the studio, or whatever, and then it's emails about whatever you know or even on the creative even on the creative side of uh i don't get to come home i don't get to come home and vent to you about how uh the creative marketer director at the job or salesperson is saying that my my course isn't dynamic enough what do they know they're not even i don't get to come home because you're that because that's you (laughs) you know um yeah it was just one of those it's one of those things that it's like is this really a good idea? I mean it's good for a lot of re- for yeah, a, Well, okay, to be fair, mm-hmm. you asked me for a full year to work for you. Oh yeah. Before oh, I'm not, I quit my job and worked for you. Yeah. It's, I'm <laughs> so, not saying it's not like you were begging. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, I to be fair, this is not just something that we ended up doing, right. we fell into. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's it. It's definitely hard because okay, so two people are in a relationship. They go to work. They have their separate work lives. They do their thing. They come home. They take care of the house or the kids or whatever else they have going on in their lives, and they'll talk about their day. And it's oh, this happened here. I did this here. I think this about that. These pers- people did this. You know, whatever. And it's like for us, it means that. We never stop talking about work mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. because first off, there's stuff that I need to ask you or information that I need from you or vice versa. And so getting our time together, which is our evening time is times when we get caught up on those things. Mm-hmm. And second, because your coworker is my coworker and I already know what you're doing all day. And so then it's finding those conversations that are outside of work. And then it's like, but we don't really have, (laughs) I mean, that sounds bad, but we don't, I mean, our life or our kids and our work, we're both workaholics. If we're not talking about either of those things, it's kind of uncomfortable silence. Well, and I think it's because like 
we are both workaholics. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you used to work, you'd start at nine, you'd get home sometime around midnight Mm -hmm. and that was every day, seven days a week, Yeah, you know? And so it went from telling me about a band and a situation in their songs and the, the feelings in the studio or the whatever to then coming home and talking about the things that we've been doing all day together already. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that gets really hard because it just feels like you're always at work. Mm-hmm. Like there's no separation and we're workaholics. So we're used to not having a lot of separation, but this is like times 10. Yeah. There's just no separation. It feels like it's fully into rear before it's like, okay, you're a block and I'm a block and they don't fuse to get, you know, like, uh, oil and water or something, you know, it's, it's together, but separate. It's like, this is more like a quilt that's been finally woven together. Yeah. (laughs) And and now we're stuck. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I would like the first priority of the weekend to be some sort of activity with the kids out of the house. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be the first thing that we do, but it has to be the first priority. Yeah. yeah. I think the first priority is like, okay, what do we want to do with the kids this weekend? Let's take them to the zoo or the aquarium, or we're going to do this picnic in park city or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then have all the list items filter around that. I'm done with that. Okay. Those will be the golf balls in the jar that we put the smaller beads into that lately. (laughs) You bring up that story every day. Yeah. Well, it's cause I feel like, okay, so I quit drinking a little Mm -hmm. while ago Mm -hmm. and that's probably when I started bringing that up a lot more is my guess. Or do you think it's been more recent? I mean, you've said it a lot in the last like four days. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Maybe I saw a meme about it or something Maybe more recently, but, um, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, there's the, you know, the whole thing about you take a jar and you can put golf balls in the jar until it's full. And then you can put marbles and they fill in around the golf balls and then you can put sand in it. Anyway, the golf balls are things in, or the different things you put in the jar are things in your life. And if you put this, if you put the sand in first, there's not going to be time for the big things like the golf balls and the big things like the golf balls are things that take up bigger portions in your life, whether that's your family or your job or whatever it is. And you, you know, different, just worried about prioritizing things. And if you fill up your jar with the sand, there's not going to be room for the golf balls. So fill, fill it up with golf balls first before you start doing the smaller stuff. And I kind of felt like, um, I was at a point in my life where, the drinking was either marbles or golf balls and there wasn't, and I had too many golf balls, too many different kinds of golf balls in there and they weren't all going to fit. Um, the family and the work, the, the big growing family and the work and wanting to be creative outside of work and, uh, physical health and all the things that should be golf balls. Um, I was, I was filling my jar up with sand too quickly. So Mm -hmm. I just got rid of the sand to try and make room for the stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that's why that was, um, come, why that's been coming up a lot lately, Mm -hmm. probably, which leads me to one of my things was, uh, do you, as a, as a, not spectator, but like as a live in spectator, um, what's it been like living with me since I, quit drinking because we've been we've known you've known me for how long has it been now 11 years 
2006. 12 years. Mm-hmm. We met over a couple of Jack and Cokes. Mm-hmm. So what what have I noticed or what do I feel like is different or mm-hmm. <laughs> all those things? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's been good. It's been interesting. It's been scary. I, I don't know if it's been scary or not. Um, I think it's been, it's been a little weird because our thing has always been drinking. Mm-hmm. Like that's how we unwind when we get the fuckets. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah, the house is yes. a mess, but yes. And that's also like, we've always had this kind of joke that all the conversations happen on the kitchen counter mm-hmm. where we would make drinks and we'd each sit on a kitchen counter and talk. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely different. I also, I'm a social drinker and I enjoy drinking and now I don't <laughs> because <laughs> Did I ruin it for you. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel guilty when we go places and, and I'm drinking my sparkling beverages and no, I mean, it's just, different like I don't I don't know how to describe it like it's just not how it used to be and that's not a bad thing it's just different like we used to bond mm-hmm. over whiskey and mm-hmm. beer <laughs> yeah. which is sad mm-hmm. that sounds that looks scary you're having an emotional <laughs> reaction to it I that's, don't know. that it's seems just, scary it's just different and I think Okay, so we talked about how we're workaholics mm-hmm. and we don't really do much outside of work and family. So I think it like those situations where we'd be sharing like a beer or whiskey or whatever, it was my social time. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really have friends that go out and do things except for like watch soccer, which... It's great. It's just not my thing, you know? Um, And I have friends that hike. That's great. I don't, I'm not going to take two 10 month olds or a four year old on a hike right now. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just not the stage of life I'm in. So I think the hardest part of the change for me has been that it no longer feels like there's motivation to be social or be in social situations. Um, but on the flip side, there's like this really good personal switch that I've seen where, I mean, and I've told you this, you're much more like present Mm -hmm. and around and aware. And like, I see you on your phone less and like trying to escape less. Mm -hmm which I think is a really good positive thing. Um, so it's just been kind of a combination of like the super positive home family life versus the shift in no longer being social, which I feel like if we, if we were in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. then wouldn't it wouldn't be, be a big deal because that's where like my longtime girlfriends are. And so I would, get that social aspect but at utah most of our friends are an extension of you in some way 
And so it kind of feels like you're the glue to that social Mm -hmm. situation and it just hasn't been there. Has that been more since we've had the kids or since I, cause I, we don't, we didn't really go out. (laughs) I mean, even before I quit, it seemed like the, once we had the twins, the drinking was at home or at work. Right. But we would invite people over for dinner or do Uh, a game night mm -hmm. or, you know, things where, the kids could be where they are and contained. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't really happened. We can do more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Was before I quit, was, were you, was it making you nervous? You're drinking? Yeah. Yes. You can keep going. Sorry. My nose is like (laughs) running so bad. Um, Yes, it was. I think I just mostly worried about your long-term physical health, mm-hmm. you know, and I worried about your escapism mm-hmm. because, you know, you've had bouts of depression mm-hmm. and I always wondered if the drinking was a symptom or a cause or how that played into that. Mm -hmm. And so it always made me nervous as far as long-term health and then mental health. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to elaborate? Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, we can wrap this up soon. I know we have lots of things to do. Yeah. I, uh, no, I just, I just think it made me nervous. Like, um, so for instance, when we got our life insurance and mm-hmm. they called back and asked if you had been to AA or they asked you something. <laughs> because they got my liver results. <laughs> yeah. And it just was like, holy shit, like that's serious, mm-hmm. you know? And I... And I had to go to that stomach doctor last yeah, year. Yeah. And you had to go to the, and you couldn't eat anything and you were throwing everything up. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, like I want you around. I want you around when David's 25 and moving into a new adventure and 30 mm-hmm. and to meet grandkids and hopefully that we have at least one <laughs> and you know, like I, I want you around. And so I think it, that made me nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, speaking of me not being around forever, uh, who would you hook up with first if I died? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a terrible question. That is a terrible question. I don't know. Have you thought about this? Who would you hook up with? Oh, I haven't thought about that on my end. I just think oh, about it on your end. I, <laughs> I wish know. I had an an, a quick answer. Like, I, I could have just pulled out like, oh, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's okay. You don't have to. It was a funny one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So before we wrap up, what is something in your life that you wish was less important to you? Oh, man. I know lots of stuff I wish was more important to me. (laughs) Um, Well, to make room for that stuff, something else has to be less important, right? Yeah. To me, I guess that's kind of, for me, that's what a hang up is, you know, like something that's important that shouldn't be. So what's my hang up? Yeah. Gosh, I guess, I mean, I think I've made a lot of headway on this and I think that I feel like a reformed social anxiety person, Mm -hmm. but, um, 
I still get some social anxiety, especially if I'm having to talk in a room full of people that I consider above me in intellect mm-hmm. or experience. Um, I get really nervous and would then you, it makes me emotional. Would so. you say you wish you cared less what other people thought about you? Kinda. But I don't really, it's not. Hmm. Like, why does that give you anxiety? I don't know. I guess, so I think my hangup is knowing or to, to release myself of caring that everyone else thought that I'm a competent, good intentioned coworker, human being. Do you wish you cared less about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish I cared less about, but I don't feel like it's necessarily like, I feel like the term, like what they think about me, cause I don't care what they think about my looks. I don't care what they think about my style. I don't care about that kind you of stuff. care what they think about something. But I care what they think about my abilities. Gotcha. Do you wish you cared less about what other people? Yes. You wish you cared less. About what other people think about my abilities. That's a great answer. Thank you. Now It if, took me a second to get there. That was great. I'm glad we got there. <laughs> we wouldn't have gotten there otherwise. So let's say you didn't, let's say that was off your plate and you didn't have to worry about that anymore and that freed up energy for other things. What do you wish you cared more about to take its place? My physical health. That's a good easy one. Yeah. Um, That's an important one too. It is important. And... I think because of the way that the the gymnastic situation was ripped away, mm-hmm. that I kind of felt rebellious against physical exertion and physical fitness mm-hmm. because everything else seemed dumb. Like it seemed, it always personally seemed dumb to me t- that people would work out just to get muscle. Mm-hmm. And do reps, that seemed really dumb to me because it wasn't excelling towards a skill. Right. Being strong and having muscles was a byproduct of being good at gymnastics and working hard. Yes. Not the end goal. Yes. And so going in the gym and running in place on a treadmill or lifting a weight over and over and over and over so I have a good bicep felt stupid because what am I doing with that bicep? Mm -hmm. You know, like... That bicep isn't getting me to get a better skill in the bar or to do this awesome, you know, Mm -hmm. thing. It could be argued that the better bicep is helping you live a longer life, whereas getting better on the bar is only breaking your bones and your spirit. (laughs) No, that's terrible. No. So, so I, and and I've, this is something that I've known about myself for a very long time Mm -hmm. is that I rebelled against physical fitness for those reasons and I need to make it more of a priority because I have very poor cardio health Mm -hmm. like if any at all it's very terrible and I have lost almost all muscle tone after two pregnancies so I need to do something about that you know what the first thing you can do about that is go to a gym no oh drink more water no (laughs) I'm gonna say the first thing you could do about that is uh, doing your best to love yourself and think of yourself the way that I think of you as far as um, knowing that your 
skilled and anybody who doesn't see it is a dummy and it doesn't really matter and you can just be you and um then you can care when you're caring less about that then it's not uh uh it doesn't seem like a thing to add to do the nice thing for yourself to be active or yeah. do something it's just there's there's emotional and uh spiritual room to just get out and do whatever it is that because you love taking care of your body it's something you've done your entire yeah. life yeah and i feel like it I, I don't know if it's one of my downfalls that contributes to whatever but i i feel confident physically mm-hmm. like i'm not someone that like hates my body there's things about it like i'm a perfectionist so there are obviously things about it that i don't like but i've never been like i feel like i already have a lot of self-love like i feel pretty balanced on Mm -hmm. that as far as confidence goes but it's getting to like you're saying like to make room yeah for me to be physically healthy i need to get to a point where I'm okay with what people are thinking about my mental and work abilities. Right. But that's taken the place of. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I think that that's why physical fitness hasn't really been a priority is because I don't, I feel, I I find like, I like, yeah, I'm way flabbier than I should be, but I'm not hating myself over it. You're not hung up on that. Yeah. I'm yeah. It's not. I, th- I I mean I've got the same I've got the same thing I'm constantly trying to be good enough in other ways you know I've spent my entire life trying to be good enough of an artist or good enough at music and it's like once I can uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so I totally I totally I feel you yeah once we if we can uh, figure out how not to uh, put so much energy into that stuff maybe the other stuff that'll actually make our life life's better <laughs> It's on my dream board, right? Yeah. I'm Maggie Pack and I am hung up. Thanks for the hang. Thank you for the hang. (laughs)